You're listening to The Professional Blur, a podcast hosted by me, Jason Klom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Professional I forgot the name of my own show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Professional Blur <laughs> Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klom. Normally, this is a podcast about extra work, uh, but this week, I have Chris Call on the show, who, you're a prop master. Correct. Um, now, what's funny, we're going to get into it, <clears throat> but I, because, you know, uh, you never know how somebody's going to be on a podcast, I heard you on the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast, I'm like, oh, good, a prop guy that I can definitely talk to. Right. <laughs> so, you're the prop master on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I mean, a million other things, Yes. Um, so in this case, we're going to talk about what a prop master does. We're going to talk about maybe some of your favorite things that you've worked on, mm -hmm. uh, what you are responsible for and aren't. I would recommend people go listen to the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast, though, because there's a lot in there. Yes. Um, but we may just cover some of the same ground. It might just happen. Sure, of course. Um, so I'm a big fan of that show. <laughs> I'm a big fan of a lot of the things you've been in, it turns out. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what a prop master is, and we'll go from there. Okay, great. That's funny because I've recently been thinking about that a lot more. Normally I say, well, you know, props is basically everything that an actor picks up, holds, and carries. Mm -hmm. But the more, when I think about it more in depth than that, it's really all the objects in people's lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. that they personally interact with. It's, you know, it's not your couch, it's not your, you know, your computer, your desktop computer, but it's all the personal props that you actually. Uh, objects that you interact with, yeah. including your watches and your rings, um, and your eyeglasses and your sunglasses and stuff like that. But just everything, you know. Uh, and we're, we tend to be the jack of all trades when it comes to movie making because yeah. it's like whatever the case may be, whatever the storyline is. If if you're you know a surgeon, you know it's all of the medical instruments and mm -hmm. if you're a, a chef it's all of the things you use uh to cook with and, so and just everything it's and that's what makes the job so much fun is that it's always different and there's always something new and exciting and for me it's about helping a uh director and more so or often more so uh an actor mm -hmm. and to develop their character because oh, so important because you think about it you know everything that you get even if it's your uh, your cell phone case for your phone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something personal. It says something about your personality. For sure. So uh, that that's the fun part for me. And it gives you business. Like it's so huge yes. for an actor. Yes. Like, and it, and it's different. Like if I'm this type of dude or I'm that type of dude. If you give me this weird bumpy case that I'm still not sure why I own, <laughs> that says you some says something different. Absolutely. Uh, and then at the same time, I feel like you've then because you just mentioned the medical stuff, which didn't even occur to me. You've got to become a mini expert mm. on these things. What right. does that involve? Like, what kind of research? Yes, that's yeah, that's great, and that's that's the fun part. That's the <clears throat> first part of any project is the research, especially if it's something I haven't done before. If sure. it's something I've done, then you know you pretty much uh, jump right into it. But if it's something that's new, um, there is a large part of research that happens, and and that again is what is very appealing to me about it is to be able to get into whatever it is about uh, that character, their their craft or their their uh, occupation or whatever that I hadn't done before. Mm -hmm. Or like in the case with the period piece, like on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. getting into 1969 Hollywood. Ugh. I mean, when that came up, it was like, oh my God, that's I cannot like, imagine. <laughs> I know, I grew up in that era. And for me, doing that research, which was about 10 months of research Woo! Oh my for God. me, um, because the minute I... There was even a possibility that I was going to do the show. 
I jumped into researching everything, and by yeah. the end of it, I had over 500 photographs of of the era and yeah. all, all of what I thought might possibly be in the script. <laughs> right. So, you, but you're dealing with that. You're also dealing with alternate history. Right. Then you're also dealing <clears throat> with an entire universe. In the case of Quentin Tarantino, of props and logos and products that exist in his universe only. Right. Right. I'm, what does that then involve? Does that then involve, I've made a thing, but Quentin wants it to be a different thing? Or do you, with the knowledge already, you're like, oh, I got to make the cigarettes, et cetera, et cetera. Well, no, Quentin is very specific about what he wants in mm-hmm. his film. And, you know, and again, that is a blessing mm-hmm. for a prop master or anybody uh, in the craft that a director knows what they want. Because so often... Th- Directors don't know what they want, mm-hmm. and then they don't know until they see it. So you have to go through this process of showing them a bunch of different things sure. until they, it, you land on whatever they want. I mean, Quentin, on the other hand, knows exactly what he wants, and he tells you, um, you know. And then of course you bring stuff to him as well. Uh, um, you know, with anybody, it's a matter of trying to get inside their head, yeah. You know, and figure out you know, or their heart and where they're coming from. And then once you get that rapport with them then it's easy going from mm-hmm. there, you know, I mean, but sometimes you, you may never get there with somebody and it's sure. arduous at Oof. best. <laughs> I bet. I bet. But when you do click, it's great because then you, you're on the same page and you bring in things and they get excited about them and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's great. But, you know, but, but especially with all the product and the packaging, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it, you know, like Quentin loves to do callbacks, sure, you know, you'll sure. see, you know, Red Apple in every one of his movies, even right. if it's just a, a billboard in the background mm-hmm. or something like that. But uh, he also, because this was his magnum opus, which was the working title of the film before we he landed on that title. Wow. Um, he wanted to bring everything back, mm-hmm. you know, things that were like uh, old Chattanooga beer, for instance, which mm-hmm. you, rare, you saw in the can that Cliff had. Mm-hmm. But we did scenes where we skinned, uh, old Chattanooga beer trucks coming out of Tennessee. Wow. We did this whole uh, montage of them driving through town and everything, which Holy was cow. fantastic. Um, but that was originally just a poster on a convenience store in Death Proof. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> you know, That's and, you know okay. and again, when I first met with him, he dragged out all of this archival uh, graphics that he had. Mm-hmm. That he said, "This is I want to. I want to use this. I want to use that. I want to, you know, incorporate all these things into the movie." Holy cow! So, and and for Red Apple again, you don't really see a lot of it mm-hmm. in the movie, but I did, I think nine different products. Okay. There was like Red Apple tan. There was filtered, non-filtered. Wow. There was Holy rolling cow. papers. There was wow. tobacco, chewing tobacco. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a lot of fun. And you made it with the possibility <clears throat> it was going to get used, but maybe not. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we actually, another thing we did is we shot a whole Red Apple uh, com- uh, cigarette commercial. Wow. Where we had all the products. We did this whole layout. And Love did the it. Whole, and again, you know, God willing or Quentin Tarantino willing, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see a, you know, four hour <laughs> right. uh, Netflix series <laughs> oh, of course. Um, on uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you'll see so much of the things that we shot that never made it to film. Oh my God. It's a lot. That's amazing. Yeah. I, 
there's so much world building that I don't necessarily even I think about when mm. I think of props. Because in my brain, like I know what I like to make for my own stuff. You know, I'm like, I like to build a custom thing. It's usually a logo, whatever, you know, on a mm -hmm. can or something. But there's so much world building, especially when we got the opportunity to do a movie like that. Right. Absolutely. You know, because we do have a light. We had license to do it all. Because, again, mm -hmm. with with Quentin, whether it's scripted or not, mm -hmm. you want to be prepared. You don't want to be that guy right. when he says, hey, do you have an old Chattanooga 40 uh -huh. ouncer? Uh -huh. To say no. So I did 40 <laughs> ounces. I did long, uh, you know, long necks and the, as well as the wow. cans because you just want to make sure you have everything that he might come up with. Because, you know, one of the things they told me when I first started on the film was every iconic moment in every tarantino picture mm -hmm. more often than not he came up with on the fly while he was filming Nuts. because it just inspired Nuts. him and he ran with it and that happened a lot in the film and mm -hmm. and again some of those greatest moments he just he came up with either on the fly or overnight mm -hmm. and uh and ev everybody has to be ready to react do you ever find yourself... Well, you know, I'm sure it's different in every production. It's based on... Like, I mean, I'm, I'm literally... You can't see it. I wish we had it framed. But there's over there is a beer can label from Tank Girl. I'm not sure that it was screen used. But I've seen photos where I'm pretty sure Lori Petty's holding a thing with that piece of paper wrapped around it. Nice. So there's that versus, like, actually having a can printed and stuff. Sure. Right? So, like, are there vendors that you have to work with Absolutely. for certain productions? Well, again, you know, I've done the paper labels many times because, you know, on television especially before digital mm -hmm. um you could get away with a lot i bet um yeah. and and nowadays even with desktop publishing you know i have a printer and a computer on my trailer mm -hmm. on location and you know we're able to and with wi-fi even on the movie we were able to you know quentin would say i want a triple sec bottle mm -hmm. you know circa 1969 <laughs> holy shit and i would call the graphic designer um tina sherrod and say I need it right now. And she's like, fine. And she'd whip it out and email it to me. And I would download it and print it and put it on the bottle. And there we go. <laughs> what the hell? That's nuts. So, but with uh, Old Chattanooga, mm -hmm. we were going to see that can a lot. Right, right, right. So I had to find in a manufacturer who still makes cans. Yeah, right. Um, with, I'm assuming, with the pull tabs. With the pull tabs, exactly. And... Um, there's a great prop house out of uh, L.A., uh, Independent Studio Services, ISS, oh, yeah. uh -huh. um, and they have manufacturing branch, and they and they also have uh, people who work. If they don't do it there, they know people who do it, yeah. and they had the people who made the cans, mm -hmm. um, and then it became about printing on the can, mm -hmm. you know, and again, that's still a huge process, sure. and even for a show like this. I didn't really have the time or resources to be able to do that. So again, working with uh, Studio Graphics Inc. that works out of ISS, uh, we were able to design the can um, label, mm -hmm. but I wanted it to really pop. I wanted it mm -hmm. to like the old Chattanooga. I wanted it to be gold foil, you know, something that yeah, was yeah, yeah. That shimmered. Sure. And we went through a couple different aberrations of it before we really landed on it and they did a great job and That's it was nuts. a wrap at the end of the day we wrapped a can with that really? label and uh, and it stood up to um you know 35 millimeter close-ups wow yeah. i wouldn't have expected that but like yeah. i guess it just depends on how you do it right and there. then of course then the second challenge was when 
Cliff pops the can of beer. Quentin wanted to see foam blast out yeah. of that thing, you know. So and then it was like, how do we build pressure in this can and oh, do all that? So of course we had to get special effects involved in that. And, oh wow, uh, that was a couple go rounds too before we actually nailed that. But at the end of the day, that worked as well. What do they? Do they normally come empty, or they come preloaded with near beer or water? What's the situation there normally? Oh well, we normally. Normally we put water in it mm-hmm. because that's usually what the actors want. But mm-hmm. in this case, you know, we we need sea foam, so we use we use near beer. For okay, that. yeah, that worked pretty well. You know, and again for me personally, like if it's a bottle, mm-hmm. even I still want to put near beer in it because, uh, you know, I look for that stuff when I'm watching a film. It's mm-hmm. like there's water in that bottle. It looks ridiculous, and Love my it. wife's like, "You're the only one who sees that." <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore, but right, you've exactly. got, you're gonna you're the you're gonna have the eagle eye about. That's it, so. right. Somebody's gonna hit me on IMDb <laughs> in the gaff squad. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? So, Why was there water in this bottle? Right, exactly. Holy shit! I just I don't know. It, it just like because it's crazy because like what you're describing to me about the the beer can, like, is not. It's not cutting a corner. It's doing it the right way, mm-hmm. the best way. And it just blew my mind, I guess. It was like, you know, it's a wrap. It's like, okay, all right. Like, right. that gives you a little more confidence, too. It's like, all right, that stuff can work. Absolutely. But, and then, and again, I mean, because it worked so well and they did such a good job, mm-hmm. nobody would know it. Yeah. That it wasn't that way. You know, because I could tell you that if it didn't look right, Quentin would have said something, you know, because mm-hmm. we also did a bunch of magazine covers, again, most oh, of sure. which you didn't see. Sure. But we did do TV Guide. Uh-huh. And uh I Quentin was very particular again about the print of the TV guide, you know. He mm-hmm. said he didn't, you know, he wanted to make sure it looked like it was from the 60s. Yeah. Okay, we had a little back and forth him and I about you know, in 1969 the new TV guide was still new. Right. So it can't look used, right. but it still has that look. It has yeah. that 60s print look to it so that's a balance that is a balance because every time i've gone to collect you know old magazines which obviously you can tell look at this place i Mm -hmm. clearly have old magazines somewhere like there's a quality to it and part of what attracts you to it is like oh look at this looks 50 years old right where it's like but i can't put my mind back to and i'm sure that's instinct for you now like if i'm working on a period piece this i can't just look old that doesn't make any fucking sense (laughs) right but then to do it did you like have to play with the print quality or like offsetting the colors or anything like that. Well, yes, it was. It was first and foremost. It was the hue, the you know, of okay. the of the print of mm-hmm. the color. You know, and then the color wasn't. They're not. They weren't necessarily as vibrant as they are today. Sure. So we had to play with that, and for that, a lot of it is the paper that we print on. Okay. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. That that makes that much of a difference. Absolutely. That's nuts. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up your your IMDb page because sure. again I I don't know if I mentioned it on mic but it, this is one of those things where I wanted to Larry King it and just do it at the last minute. So you've done you've worked <laughs> on so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll very I very quickly <clears throat> as a well now so can't we can't do any of these quickly the ones that I want to talk about. <laughs> the first one that obviously kind of blows my mind 1990 one episode scenic artist in Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Yes. Holy cow. What was that all about, and how was that, and did you get to meet Mr. Rogers, and yes, how was he? Yes, yes. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you brought that up, because that, I mean, in one episode mm-hmm. of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood stands out as one of the the top three experiences of my career, mm-hmm. um, simply because I got to meet and work with Fred Rogers. Um, you know, so the backstory, basically, on that is, is that I started in the film business in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. worked there doing mostly commercials, uh, 
couple uh, movies, mm-hmm. but then moved to find myself in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, which you wouldn't think there was a film industry there, but because of George Romero, there oh, was right. a big film community there um, from all the Dawn of the Dead movies. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, of course, Mr. Rogers filmed there. So everybody who worked in Pittsburgh at some point or another back in those days worked on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, okay. including Michael Keaton Yes, as a grip, mm-hmm. um, which was fun. Um, so I came in as a scenic artist, um, but what I actually did, it was a, an episode on recycling. Okay. I have the number of that episode somewhere. I could track it down. But... Uh, but what we ended up doing was in the land of make believe, they the thing was is that there was a trash pile up. Okay. You know they weren't picking up the garbage or whatever. So I had to build all these little mini bundles of newspapers for the oh my god <laughs> land of make believe. Um, but uh, my favorite uh, story about that time was again you know working with Fred. Fred is. He's just an amazing person. I yeah. mean, just to, to be in his company. Um, the best way I could describe it is Fred Rogers is a man who never la- lost his childhood wonder. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he just brought it through into his adult life. Um, so there was a time where I was sitting in my office uh, at KQED and I had received a box with a, uh, a lampshade in it. Uh-huh. Okay, and the lampshade had long been taken out of the box and carted away somewhere, mm-hmm. and so the box was just sitting there. And there was a piece of cardboard, a flat piece, that had a cut out around the top of it where it held the lampshade oh, sure, in place sure. in the box, you know, so it was like all flared around the edge. So that was sitting in there, too. And I was doing some paperwork or whatever, and along comes Fred, and he stops in my office and says hi to me. And uh, I said, hey, Fred. And he looks down at the box and he sees that that top piece and he picks it up and he's just like turning it over and he's pondering, what is this thing? And I was about to tell him and he just takes it and puts it on his head and he goes, it's a hat. <laughs> I'm so glad that's what happened. I'm so glad I was hoping. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Oh, my God. So. Like, and it, it's one of those things, like, you hear every time you hear sort of like, there's no way he's that good, but of course he frigging is. He's Mr. Damn Rogers. Absolutely. Ah. And, you know, and just a, 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 a serious man, but still sure. um, funny. Mm-hmm. You know, the things he would do on set. I mean, there was a, a famous story of uh, Nick Tallow, whose nickname was Bamba, who's the uh, stage manager. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he would always play pranks mm-hmm. on Fred. <laughs> and so there was one famous time where he, um, you know, Fred comes in, you know, we're taping and he walks in, he's singing his song. He goes to the door, he opens up the door and Bamba had put a blow up doll in the closet. So Fred, without missing a beat, stop, takes a look at it. There's this pregnant pause and he looks at the camera and, smiles and then goes in the closet and shuts the door <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah oh that's so good i can't ah, i cannot imagine so you, you, but you only worked on the one episode or were you there for I just, actually a bit i know i just did the one episode it was mm-hmm. probably about uh all all in i think it was like three weeks 
Oh, really? Four weeks at work or something like that. But What did you make the little newspapers out of? Was it just newsprint? Yes, newspapers. We just cut them up into little squares and then tied them so off with cute. little uh, bundles of uh, with uh, twine or whatever. Damn it, that's adorable. And then I also got to build. So, you know, whenever you go, Fred goes to a place uh, like a location. Yeah. Um, they have the model of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and then they oh, yeah. zoom in on a building. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have a building that was a recycling center, so I actually got to build that little building. That's amazing. And I had it for years, and then I don't know what happened to oh, it. Oh, no. I know. I just, Damn it. I know, right? That's so good. Uh, but I have a photograph of it. So, As a prop person, are you a collector? That's interesting, because I try not to be. Yeah. Because otherwise my house would be impossible. Of course. Um, like this place. Well, I have a 48-foot trailer, so I keep a lot of stuff there. But I do have specific, special things that I keep. Mm -hmm. Okay. How about from stuff you haven't worked on? Do you collect <clears throat> anything from films or TV that you love? Or no, no time? I don't. I no don't. time or interest. Okay, mm -hmm. that's fine. That's good. Smart man. Probably. Yes. Probably smart. Um, man, Mr. Rogers, that's so good. Um, so... You're going to be disappointed if I say this thing is interesting, but I haven't seen it mm -hmm. um, or I haven't seen it in a long time. But people will want to know about the Silence of the Lambs. So, yes. uncredited painter. Another great opportunity uh, because, again, the, uh, Silence of the Lambs came to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Film We filmed most of it there. There was some stuff they shot in Quantico, Virginia. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but, uh, again, you know, when you work in a small market, or at least back then, Pittsburgh was non-union at that point, mm -hmm. so everybody did whatever anybody could do, yeah, you know, sense. to keep working. Um, so, I mean, there was a Dario Argento, George Romero collaboration called Two Evil Eyes that came into town, uh -huh. and I was a got a job as a cat wrangler, which is another whole story. Oh, oh no. Um, yeah, that was kind of frightening. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, I did hook up with uh, Eileen Garrigan, who was like the charge painter of the town, basically, who did all the um, uh, shows that came through. And I was a scenic for on a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. So when Silence of the Lambs came in, that's what I got hired to do. Um, so I initially started off doing whatever kinds of aging and stuff that needed to be done. Oh, so sure. one of my claims of fame on that film was that I got to block age Hannibal Lecter's cell, which is it's basically, amazing. you know, you, I mean, cause of course we built that whole sure. cell on stage. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a stage, it was a warehouse. And so everything had to be built from scratch and we, they made the bars for the cell, but then they had to be aged. And yeah. so there's this technique where you take your paint you paint the the bar, and then you take a different color paint to make it look like it was, you know, had layers of paint. Mm -hmm. And you take a piece of a block of wood and you tap it on the bars to, oh. you know, to give it a texture. Yeah, essentially. I was I was hoping you would say it was a cell. Like I mean, that's the one yeah, thing that I yeah. think of, and I've never seen the damn thing. But no, that's no, great. No, it was great. And then I ended up. Um, mostly doing uh, skinning vehicles, which is oh yeah, putting you know you know all the Calumet County. Um, graphics on the sides of police cars and stuff like that. Right. So that stuff fascinates me. Yeah. Because uh, I, I don't know why I get so excited to see <clears throat> like you know hero vehicles and stuff or just like whatever used vehicles. You always do sort of forget that. Oh no, next production that's just a totally different thing. You know, and a different logo. Do, do you? Hmm. Do those things? Do you go to a place and and you have these kind of logos set, or you're totally making these from scratch? Well, for something like that, it was very specific. Okay. So, 
we do make them. Um, sometimes, you know, like NYPD, you know, that's their, mm-hmm. it's, you know, so they do have a lot of that stuff already. Right. But mind you, in this day and age, back then it was a lot different. In this day and age, everything has to be approved and Makes you sense. have to do fictitious. Um, some some agencies will allow you to do things, mm-hmm. but like, for instance, the show I'm working on now is set in Los Angeles and the uh, seal of Los Angeles we had to modify. Interesting. You know, so... Is, is there a certain percentage? It's not about a percentage. Well, it, it, there used to be a percentage, but now mm-hmm. they don't even do that now. Oh. They, they basically... You have to change it in a way that... <clears throat> Is um, suffices the lawyers <laughs> at okay. the studio makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I that had not occurred to me, but it makes perfect sense. Um, okay. So the next one. So and I'm going to annoy my audience with this because I've probably already brought up that I've had a fake presidential campaign for 16 years. That is that's why that book is there. It's a long story. Nice. But one of the things that I used as inspiration was Bob Roberts. <sighs> so and I love it. Right. And I, I once got to interview Gore Vidal, which is one of my favorite things of all time, and he's in that. Yes, You're the property master of Bob Roberts, so please tell me what that was like and what you what kind of stuff you remember <clears throat> specifically working on. Well, again, that was uh, a great opportunity for me um, because I'm very political as well, mm-hmm. so that was something that was very near and dear to me. Um, uh, I remember working with Giancarlo Esposito uh-huh. on that and you know and again his tape recorder that was like a really big prop for him uh-huh. and so I had a lot of fun with that you know because he's supposed to he has this uh he's a little um he uh he has a, an affliction mm-hmm. um right. so um I wanted to we wanted him to be able to have a microphone you know that he could hold in his hand and stuff so that was kind of fun to be able to come up with that yeah um on top of that the whole campaign again for Bob Roberts was I mean uh, again uh, not to give it away but I mean well he plays a conservative which is mm-hmm. funny for Tim Robbins yeah. okay and then of course I don't know if you remember this but throughout the whole I mean he's you know he's like the Bob Dylan of the conservative yes, set, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and so he and his brother wrote all this music, right, for the whole show. And I said to him afterwards, I'm like, "Well, Tim, are you going to release this, these, this soundtrack?" And he's like, "Absolutely not." He said because people are gonna, there will be people who will take okay that those songs verbatim, you know, and, and use them. And so he never did. But I at one point got a cassette tape. Of the rough cuts of all those songs oh that I still have. <laughs> God, because uh, <laughs> they still stand up. They're so I mean, drug stink. It's such a great song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I I do. Here's the thing. As a guy who knows somebody who run, I know a couple people who run record labels. I hope one day he changes his mind. I get it. I it's a principled too. stand. Well, it's especially a, now he's not going to. I of mean, course, of course not. Why would the fuck would you do that? That'd right. Insane. Yeah. Um, but, uh, wow. Yeah. That's it's, remarkable. I know. It's a lot of fun. And then, you know, all the campaign buttons and stuff that mm-hmm. we had to make. And uh, we we made an effigy of Bob oh, yeah. out of uh, <laughs> uh, foam rubber and stuff like that. But my, my big claim to f- uh, fame on that one was is that there was a scene where... Um, there was a protest between the pro Bob people and the anti Bob oh, people, yeah, uh-huh. and there were three of the fanatical Bob Roberts fans, mm-hmm. and one of those people was a very young Jack Black. Right. Yes, I thought. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to be an extra in the scene where you did Jack Black and his two compatriots were pushing me around in a 
protest scene. Holy so shit. if you go back and see it, I'm in there. Well, I'm going to now. I mean, this is the subject of this podcast. Guess what, guys? We're back to extra work now. Um, is that the only time you've ever done extra work? No. It isn't? No. What else have you done? Is oh, it in any of the God, other ones I did I this, uh, what was it called? I think. Oh, right. There was this, another timely film. This mm-hmm. was 25, almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. A made-for-TV movie called The Fire Next Time. Okay. Okay, and it was about global warming. All right. Okay, and mm-hmm. it was um, Craig T. Nelson and Bonnie Bedelia, and they were like um, shrimpers in New Orleans. Okay. And they were having to move north because of global warming. There were all these hurricanes that were wiping everything out. It's crazy yeah. how timely it was for, yeah, yeah. for its time. So I actually ended up, um, a segue into that. Um, I played a uh, a, a Mexican gardener. <laughs> I, oh my I'm Italian, but I got cast <laughs> as a Mexican gardener crazy. for that. And then one other time, there was a uh, um, oh god, what was it called? Uh, it was a Sinbad. Um, oh well, wait, because you 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 worked on House Guest. House Guest, that's it. You're in it. Yes, Son I was in House Guest, and I actually had a, a good a good part in there where. I played a, uh, again, I was a bartender. Oh, yeah, okay. Right? And uh, he says, Pedro, bring me my clubs. Mm-hmm. And I have to, like, grab the club, two bags of golf clubs and two drinks and walk off camera. Holy shit. So that's me there, too. I love it. Oh, my God. Well, that's that's going to come up. And, oh, that's literally the next one I was going to ask you about. So I do I do want to know, then, like, uh, what kind of... Okay, well, first of all, again, huge fan of news radio. So anytime Phil Hartman comes up, anytime yes. I have to ask what, what it was like working with Phil He's Hartman. He's a total sweetheart yeah and god bless him Ugh. um he was great All what right. what kind of stuff did you make because it's been a while since i've seen house guests so i'm trying yes. to think of like were there any because th- i know the thing is like a lot of it is like quote unquote mundane stuff like sure. i've got a sharpie here you'd have to give me sharpies if they were making a movie of this you know right so, yeah well one of the fun things for that was there's a scene in the very beginning you know because he was kind of plays a shyster who was always looking for a get rich <laughs> yeah. scheme yeah and so there was an opening scene where he gets this giant box of baseball cards mm-hmm. so i had to like make this i mean a huge 24 inch by 24 inch box yeah. of baseball cards of course you know we put a false bottom in it and it was sure, just a, sure. a small layer of them right, but it was right. fun to have to get all those <laughs> cards and i think we did the same thing with lego we had to get a bunch of Lego as well for mm-hmm. that show. Oh yeah, okay. Um, but um, I don't, I can't. There's nothing that really sticks out as far as being that difficult to get for that. Right, but you were an extra in it, and this I was so an extra good. in I it. Love and that again, so that, those, much. those. I mean, well, you know, Quentin did that a lot too. There mm-hmm. are a lot of crew members, PAs, and stuff that he put in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, if you want people who look real and who are not prepared to be on camera, and that adds something to it, I think, like, mm-hmm. that's great. That's remarkable to me. <laughs> yeah, but also people who know how cameras work. That's another thing is, like, right. extras, and I know from being one, are hard to wrangle sometimes. Yes. Not always, <laughs> but... Well, that's always my pet peeve with, uh, uh-huh. with background sometimes, is that... They bring people in, mm-hmm. you know, and they say they could do whatever because they want the gig. I get it. Of course. Um, I've done but it. for me, it's like like I'm doing a show now. Um, it's called The Untitled Mayor Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a new uh, half-hour comedy for NBC with okay. Ted Danson and Holly Hunter. And, Amazing. Uh, yeah, Ted Danson plays a, uh, a, a rich man who becomes mayor of Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And Holly Hunter plays a uh, um, councilwoman who's his nemesis. Um <laughs> But uh, 
I lost my train of thought there. Uh, uh, oh, right. Shit. Well, then I <laughs> we both did because, oh, my God. No, we were asking about how hard extras are to wrangle. Oh, yes, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus. I'm sorry. No, uh, it's so my fault. You in I? every episode, there are a ton of uh, media, press everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so uh, we always have this issue where you give somebody an extra camera and uh-huh. they have to act like it's their profession mm-hmm. to shoot uh, with a camera and it, it's often very painful um, so what we usually do is we say to the ADs listen give us a group of people mm-hmm. let us have them early so mm-hmm. we could show them how to do it so Fair. they look good Fair. and then like on a TV series we say can we just keep can they be reoccurring mm-hmm. okay so it's we're not having to train people that every time. makes per- and it would never have occurred to me that's one reason to cr- keep somebody around so they don't absolutely fuck shit up. <laughs> I mean, well you know. know and it's good too because i mean i mean if you're playing the press corps of mm-hmm. the mayor it's going to be the same people anyway for sure so it stands to reason I'm trying to think i know i had to be i was a paparazzi in a weird al video but i brought my own camera so they're nice. like you better not use your own fucking thing. yeah it was a couple years ago the crazy part was they're like, yeah, take all the photos you want. And then at the end, they're like, uh, we need to see you delete all the photos off your card. So I very carefully just slipped it into my pocket and <laughs> said, oh, there wasn't a card in there. Don't worry. We're all good. So I secreted a few away. Nice. And then there was another. I was on a cold case where I had to, but it was a rubber camera. It was like a total dummy. Sure. And uh, But still, you have to look like you know what you're doing. Yes. You can't just be like, uh, uh. <laughs> exactly. Also, had to, oh, I was also on American mm. Dreams and had to use one with the hot bulb, like a functional yes. one. And had the glove to catch it and yes. shit so I didn't burn my skin uh-huh. off. What's, uh, what's like the, maybe the oldest, well, it would then be the probably the oldest movie, like in terms of, um, you know, a period piece. But what's the oldest type of prop you've had to put together or gather? <laughs> that would be for Alias, amazingly. Okay. Because in Alias, if you remember the show, there was uh-huh. a 15th century um, prophet. Rambaldi. Oh, yes. Okay, right. And he uh-huh. built all of these crazy devices that, like, I had to do a 15th century fax machine. Uh-huh. Okay. And so <laughs> for me, that was okay. one of the highlights of my career, you know, because I love to build stuff, you know. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I could get, like you say, the everyday Sharpies and stuff, sure. you know. Thank God for Amazon now. I keep plugging Amazon wherever I go. I noticed. Because it's such a, <laughs> I mean, it's been such a lifesaver for me. I mean, I, I hate that they don't pay any taxes, but hey, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I am I love their service. But so for stuff like that, that's mm-hmm. the, the nuts and bolts, like you said. Yeah. So, but it's when you get the opportunity to build things, that's right. really the cream of the crop for me um so for rambaldi i got to build all these crazy oh my god 15th century props that were so much fun to i'm do. gonna have to pull that episode up then because well, i need the, to see it, this stuff there were many many episodes where we you know we did there was one where there was this clock mm-hmm. and then there was this yellow disc that sat behind the clock okay. and the way you turned it and the way the light hit it with the candle behind it it, it created a code that they were able to <laughs> wow the, the the episode that they were after or whatever mm-hmm. you know and we had to build that thing from scratch and again from the 15th century and i mean i remember at the time and that was again 25 years ago it was ten thousand dollars to build that thing Woo! Yeah. my god okay yeah. i mean and that's a show to be fair i'm assuming pretty big budget it looked like it, it was yeah. actually that budget for me was to this day bigger than any episodic budget i have to this day makes sense um and i always wonder why though they never sold that thing into syndication it was be that's so much, weird to me right yeah I mean, who doesn't want to see alias again it's such a great show well that was going to be one of the one, next ones i bring up so i interviewed 
you're probably interview number 12 or so within this show. Mm -hmm. So, which by the way means it's going to be a while before it comes out. But right. still, um, <laughs> I interviewed a friend of mine who runs Geeky Tees in Burbank. Really nice little shop, a store shop. Uh, oh, right. Store shop. That That's a word. Yes. You know what I'm saying? A game yes. shop. Yeah. So, and her name is Donna. And she did extra work, but specifically as a goth. And she's like, oh, and I did an episode of Alias. And when she told me that, I'm like, give me a second because I was in the goth episode of Alias. Are you telling me you were in the same thing and we didn't know this? Wow. So uh, I now have to ask you about that. Um, so uh, I have to ask you about the goth episode. If you remember at all, do you have, don't worry if you didn't. Was that you don't the remember. episode where she was with the red hair? Uh, uh, it, I, here, uh, I, I'm going to pull up the clip that I always 99. <laughs> I think I, 99 episodes. Yes, right. Yeah, I know. I saw you had a very <laughs> long... Blur. Let me see if this in any way... Well, once this damn thing loads, we'll see. Will it play? There we go. It's this, like a German mm, nightclub. Mm. So that was me when I actually oh, had yeah. hair. I remember that. Okay, so that one. Yes. Uh, so it was very weird to find out that not only this friend of mine was in this thing and we didn't even know each other, but now I didn't know you worked on Alias until today. Right. Um, it... Here's the crazy thing about this. So the next... No, this is... Was this the next day? Yes. So the day before this, all those goth people that are in that scene were on an episode of Crossing Jordan. And we all got a call <laughs> saying, we need goths for Alias tomorrow. We're like, well, fuck yeah. And I just dyed my hair permanently black for it. Nice. <laughs> so... And I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, so this is not from Alias. This is from Crossing Jordan. But I want to know if you've ever run into this. So I stole this from the set. But this wow. fake, not Bud Light... Definitely right. near beer. I've never seen that one, but I've seen other knockoffs. It's made by Anheuser-Busch, though. Is it? This is what it says. Get and it had Dutch. their near beer in it. So I'm... So have you ever run into that? I needed... That's why... Have I ever run into this particular label from Anheuser-Busch? No, Bush? just one from an act, the actual no, company. Because I'm trying to figure out the logic because, behind it. Yeah, that's crazy. Because, like, in this day... Now, mm -hmm. we're not allowed to do this anymore. Okay. It used to be, you know, you do knockoffs, you call it... Cola Cola or something sure, like sure, that, yeah. and you do the same graphics. Mm -hmm. That's a big no-no now. Okay. So because they don't want you to knock their label off, either you use it, yeah. and they give you permission, or you don't. Right. So that's this amazing one, that they did that. If this is out of focus, looks like Bud Light. Absolutely. For the, for the people listening, it's Bo Lickbull, B-O-H-L-I-Q-B-L. It's as close to Bud Light. So from a distance, it, it's close enough. So I'm trying to figure out, I'm just literally going to have to contact Anheuser-Busch now. That's Absolutely. like my only option. That's the only way. Right? Like, that's amazing, though. <laughs> In my head, I was like, this is from Alias, right? I'm like, no, that's from Crossing Jordan. What kind of, did you ever have to deal with anything similar to, were there any vendors that weren't like off-brand that you would get something like, maybe like this for a club scene? Well, we we there's a bunch of knockoffs mm -hmm. that we use, you mm -hmm. know, that are fictitious. Yeah. Um, like I said, it used to be people made them that made them look like actual products, but now yeah. there's like just completely different. Right. Um, one of the brands that you'll see a lot in a lot of shows are Bilson brand. Okay. Okay, like Bilson cigarettes and okay. what have you, and that's the the owner of ISS. His name that's is hilarious. Greg Bilson. So uh, his namesake is throughout products in. Hollywood. That's so good. I now yeah, realize then my obsession with props and my huge ego as an actor, that sounds like that's the industry to get into. Right. Put my dumb name all over everything. <laughs> that's great though. I love that. Like that's a that's a solid little gag. Like that's yeah. a weird it's also you know, there's some nerds out there who are like, oh well these are all in the same universe then if they all have the same products. You you know that's happening. Right. You well it, could, it, it it gives it some legitimacy as well. Sure, sure, yeah. 
There's oh, what's there's Let's potato chips and yes. hers. Yes, uh, which, which are, the, are those the most common? Hers is an actual brand. Oh, it is an actual Let's brand. But is Let's the is the one from again from Studio Graphic Arts. Okay, okay, and that's 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 the one that a ton of different places use. Yes. Oh my goodness, I'm I'm see I'm pulling up more. Okay, well I'm not going to be able to look up the episode, but the show didn't last too long, so <laughs> I was an extra on Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip too. Uh. So I I'd like to know what you what you worked on. Were there props for the fake sketches? There were mm-hmm. again nothing really stands out. I remember the countdown clock was a big thing. Oh, they sure. had that big countdown clock. That was a big prop that we had to do. We thought we were going to retire on that movie. I well, sure, it, or on that TV show because sure. you know, I mean, it's, it's Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Come and on, and it was great. The pro- what happened on that show? I don't know if you remember. Um, it was out at the same time. Thirty Rock yep. was out. Yep, and basically people thought it was supposed to be a comedy mm-hmm. but it wasn't it's was supposed to be a drama about, about comedy. comedy right and it kind of got lost in translation i think mm-hmm. and so by the time it got canceled the last several episodes of that season that one season were the best yeah sure. and um it's unfortunate because it was bad. a great great show yeah um again i'm trying to think of, oh i know probably we had there was a scene with the uh i believe that was yeah I'm tr- all these shows like for sure yeah come into a big club, i mean you've got 55 but, credits on here and i'm sure you've done more than that so yeah and yeah 55 credits and then some of them are like 100 episodes right yeah so, <laughs> so i think i figured it out to be <clears throat> something like 580 actual productions Jeez. or something like that wow. anyway um but I th- we had to do a thing <clears throat> where they were doing the the fake baby the okay um, it was like one of those practice babies that oh, yeah. they give to little to girls in school mm-hmm. and such. And uh, so I reached out to this uh, company that made these babies. And we did this whole thing where, you know, they were going to provide the babies for us. And they said, okay, well, the deal is that you can't do anything with these babies that is going to destroy them in any way or use them in a way that they're not intended to use. I'm like, no problem. That's not what we're going to do. But uh-huh. while they sent us the babies, we got them in. They were like five grand each or something Ooh, like that. Okay. Um, you know, but they promote them to us because sure. we're going to do this. Sure. And then of course, as it were <laughs> in television and in comedy rewrites come down and the next thing you know, they're doing a guillotine and they're chopping the head <laughs> off the baby. No. And I'm like, wait a minute we got a major problem here Woo! we can't do that and it became this huge thing where i was spent like days in with the product with the uh, clearance people at warner brothers and the lawyers and in this company and we we're trying wow. to work it out <laughs> but uh yeah you don't expect that with a prop situation but wow yeah <laughs> it's it was fun uh okay so i've got a weird one okay so i've got to front load it for the people at home who don't know what i'm going to be talking about and you might also be like i don't want to talk about it so i don't know it's up to you uh it's just because it's another one of those things that didn't go but who cares um Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna blame the prop guy for it not going uh i'm a big fan of the british show spaced yeah and they tried to reboot it over here weirdly yes what i've seen of it is very weird that's all i know i don't know if it was good or bad but what i saw of it was weird so what was that like what was the whole situation well, the whole situation, for me, mm-hmm. on a personal level, that was the first show that I got after the writer's strike. Oh, wow. Which okay. was 100 days, and that was brutal, sure. as we all remember. Sure. I mean, and I was so happy just to be back at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was an odd <laughs> production, for sure. Uh-huh. But there were some great people in it. I oh, can't yeah. remember the actors' names. Sarah 
uh, what was Sarah it? Rue is in Sarah it. Sarah Rue, who I did, in it. I did uh, um, <clears throat> the Ryan Murphy uh, popular with oh, her. Oh, okay, yeah. So I got to work with her again. She was great. And, you know, I found it funny. I thought mm-hmm. it was it was good. I, I never saw the British version of mm-hmm. it, so I don't know if it stood up to that. Fair. And I don't really know why it didn't go. Maybe it was because it was coming off of the strike and there was too much backlog of Probably. stuff. I have no idea. Right. But... Uh, but we had fun on it, you know. Mm-hmm. We we got the we did some crazy graphics. I remember mm-hmm. on it, and so it was it was fun and um, yeah. Well, because the original show was like super heavy on that kind of stuff. Like I would imagine the props people on the original spaced had way too much work to do, you know, right. especially on a BBC show where there's no budget. So that's that's why I was just curious if anything stood out to you. Doesn't have to. It but, was just yeah. a pilot, so I never really got. Right into it you know the, yeah, that's the, you true. say that, that makes this sense. is an idea that i always thought would be great and i know there's a lot of legality involved in mm-hmm. it but there are so many sh- pilots that i've done that never made it um, i think you're gonna say exactly something i've been wanting to do yeah exactly somebody's got those things sitting somewhere yep. somebody should create a network or exactly. something or a, you know a, a, a netflix series or whatever mm-hmm. of all the pilots that didn't make it i know i know? know because there there's some that have been pirated terribly on youtube right but then Somebody has like the guy who created News Radio was working right. on a show starring Joe Rogan. Um, it didn't get picked up, and there are many reasons for that. But I know people have the tape, and one day they're going to show it to me. And I'm like, please, yes, I want to know. And it's like, and it's not like, oh, what? It, I'm sure this is terrible. It's like, no, I want to see what happened. Like, I'm curious, just out of curiosity. And like, there's talented people working on these things. Absolutely, you know. Um, oh, that's right. Also, McGee directed that, right? McGee, I'd forgotten yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. That's a, I mean, that's also a crazy choice for TV, but he seems like maybe... I think he brought it in, if I remember correctly. Yeah? yeah. Makes sense. Uh, okay, so let me see. There's just so, there's so much. I'm going to try and pick something. <laughs> okay, here's here's where I feel like an ass, uh, because I, I would like to see this just for the production design alone, but I've never seen it. Tomorrowland. But did yes. you get to work on some crazy, spacey future shit? Yeah, Tomorrowland was fun for me because... It was a, one of the few instances where I wasn't the prop master, so I didn't mm-hmm. have the whole weight of the show on sure, me. Sure, sure. I got to work with the amazing prop master, Chris Peck, mm-hmm. who's done many great films. Um, and so I, again, my involvement in that show, I did probably 11 weeks of work on it, and okay. it was all prep work, mm-hmm. getting it ready to go. Um, so... I got to do a lot of research okay. on that, and that was, what was fun because I got to research the, you know, the um, uh, World Fair, mm-hmm. oh. um, and and then I was also the jetpacks in that yeah. were made out of um, Electrolux vacuums. Oh, wow. so I had to so good. basically buy every Electrolux vacuum on eBay I could possibly wow. find. You know, because we had to make so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. And then I uh, I got, uh, again, I got to do a lot of purchasing and research on that. And I I remember I, I found this uh, ray gun mm-hmm. um, that uh, was a vintage toy uh-huh. that I found that um, Brad Bird ended up loving and wanting really so that was cool i got to get that for him and that's great so uh yeah it, it that was an incredible incredible show mm-hmm. i mean uh, I, again the way it read mm-hmm. and the way it ended up getting cut were completely different really it was okay. a really great script uh-huh. i don't kind of know what happened in translation there why mm-hmm. it didn't 
do so well but That's strange but the script was amazing yeah and i i the Again, me as a fan of props, like you would think I would have seen it by now. I just haven't had an opportunity, and I, that's the kind of shit that I want to see. Yeah. Everything you're describing to me, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought I would see. Fun space age, retro futuristic. Oh, I love yeah. it. Sorry, it just gets me excited for that kind of stuff. So now we're up to, I mean, there's a million <clears throat> things in between, but we're up to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And again, yes. people should listen to the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast because it's a great interview. But I would like to go over a few things with you in terms of like stuff you, you're particularly pr- – that's so loud. There's one of the sharpest <laughs> you provided with me with. Um, just stuff that you're particularly proud of or maybe challenges that people don't expect. That might be something interesting to talk about. Right. Well, again, like I uh, mentioned in the podcast, uh, the other one, um, the Nine-Nine one, um, a lot of the challenge of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is how – how little time we have to do everything because again it's a half hour comedy and because of you know again my whole career was either feature films in my early years and then i switched to television and did mostly one hour dramas yeah so the first time i did a half hour comedy was brooklyn 99 and uh oh my god and it was it was really hardcore <laughs> yeah because i'm used to like i get a script and i go out and i get everything and then we're done mm-hmm. you know but then what would happen is that halfway through the week it would all change you know right. because they're constantly changing jokes you know because it's comedy and everything's about the joke mm-hmm. so you know and they change them right up and while we're shooting they, they we get scripts that are alts where they have okay here's an alter- alternative version of this same scene when they record them both and then they figure it out in editing uh-huh okay so um so we're so you have to be light on your feet and see and do the best job that you could do with the little amount of time that you have and sure. so that's what the challenge for me is on a show like that mm-hmm. um and sometimes again with the things that we create in such a small amount of time are incredible like i had to do i don't know if you remember an episode where there was a uh, it was a police robot uh-huh remember that uh-huh. one it's fantastic okay yes. and you know what we ended up seeing on camera wasn't everything that we shot there was a scene where it, it got thrown off a balcony yes, and right. all this stuff um and again i had to build this thing from scratch oh my and god i learned on alias this trick that i do where instead of building it from nuts and bolts from the bottom up i find pieces of other things and then put them together Mm -hmm. so if you look closely you'll see the head of that robot is a dyson um fan (laughs) okay and the bottom part of it is a a a humidifier that i found from somewhere and then i got some uh rc track um for the bottom Mm-hmm. To, you know, because it, it actually had to functionally roll, it was right? oh it was God. it was okay. a functional remote control <laughs> robot, and then you know, and then we just added all these pieces to it to make it look like what it was, and add lights and all these fun Oof. things. So that was kind of cool. That's amazing. Actually, that's harder to do because some RC things aren't that powerful, so you had to probably make it pretty lightweight, right? On yeah. Top? Well, we did have to. That was definitely an issue, but I got a really powerful. RC oh, you did get base, a okay. You know, because they have some of those things that are amazing. It was like tank treads or something. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I love that so much. Have you uh, ever created like a brand? Mm. Yeah, have you ever created a, one of the brands or do you uh, kind of like default to something like a, a Let's or whatever? Oh. Um, like maybe on your own, <clears throat> like they don't specify in the thing. You're like, well, we need a generic blankety blanket, but I don't have this. I'd have to make it. Well, again, back in the day, mm-hmm. I used to do all my own graphics, mm-hmm. you know, on the popular. I made a bunch of graphics that were a lot of fun, mm-hmm. um, and even on Alias as well. Nowadays, um, 
we have a full-time graphic designer oh, right. you did on say that. board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we pitch most of that stuff to them. And sometimes, you know, like if they're like overworked, <laughs> mm-hmm. which they always are, um, I will knock something out because I still have those skills and I love doing it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do some of uh, a piece here or there. Mm-hmm. But Because uh, it's not uh, just supervisory for you, right? Like even if you're the prop master, you've got people working under you, but you still have to be hands-on. Yeah, absolutely. And again, a lot of the graphic designs, that's all dictated by the production designer, yeah. especially on a on a TV show. Makes sense. Um, you know, because it has to be approved by everybody. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but I'll, I'll always have my list of prop graphics that I need and I'll send it to the graphic designer and they'll mm-hmm. knock them out. And then again, a lot of it is like last minute and they have to crank them out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, there are some amazing graphic designers in working in the industry. Oh, for sure. Who's greatest quality other than being a great artist is how fast they can mm-hmm. produce work that is something i do not have like again i've got this bottle here from news radio that by the way was like a i had to scan it like roll it scan it on right, the scanner right. like an idiot and then it took me probably six hours to recreate it in vector to make sure it looked perfect sure. you know like per- now Maybe if I'd have pulled it out of my butt, because if you look at this, like it's the cheapest thing. So I'm no insult to the prop people from news radio, which I hope to speak to soon. Um, but like, yeah, that is a, that is a particular skill that to be that fast with graphic design yeah. and make it look good and unique. Absolutely. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. Um, and they also have to do three or four versions of something because you know, they want choices. They need approval of, yeah. of, yeah, just based on the look of the whole thing. Oh my God. Do you ever have to work within, cause the show has a unique palette. Mm-hmm. So do you have to work within that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All, all shows have a color palette mm-hmm. and you don't want to, you know, stand out <laughs> right. as it were. Right. Um, so we, you know, it's all a collaboration, all the departments. It's amazing. So I'm assuming at some point though, it's like, oh, I know the palette by heart. I don't sure. have to refer- reference it. That's so interesting to me. I love the idea because you, you're having to set your brain to this new yeah. wavelength. Yeah. It's an algorithm. That's so great. Um, okay. So, uh, well, you know what? Since you did say you do extra work, we're going to do the one segment we do on the show, which okay. is called Five and Over, where you take one of your extra gigs okay. and you expand it into a spinoff. And it does not have to be a movie. <laughs> if it was a movie, it doesn't have to be a TV show. If it was a TV show, if, if it was a drama, it can be a comedy. Whatever you want. Spin it off however you want. But I want to know which of these those three wow. that you mentioned. I'm trying to think if there was any other ones that I Oh, there might be more. Did. There could yeah. be. Um, those are the ones that really stand out to me. Um Sheesh. I did I don't not know. prepare I, you for this. No, 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 no. I think, but I guess you know the thing that would probably be the most interesting one for me would be the uh, the the Hispanic bartender mm-hmm. in the uh, house guest because he had attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. we, what he was doing was while I was making the drinks in the background, um, the characters were. Um, oh God, I can't remember that guy's name now. Now, but they were being racist, basically, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you know, and ignorant mm-hmm. and uh and i was in the background responding to it you know with rolling my eyes and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i had to get to have a little fun with that so it would be fun to like have that character be like you know somebody who's got a vendetta against all these uh, highbrow uh <laughs> country club set <laughs> i love it i love it and maybe he spins off and he gets his own bar and he gets yeah, to be exactly. whatever he wants i love this yeah <laughs> 
I'm now, you know, you, you're now forcing me to have to go back and watch House Guest, which is not a problem. I love that. Yeah, movie no, it's great. I mean, it's a fun yeah. movie. It was, it was definitely a fun movie. Um, I don't know if you have an online presence or if you got something to promote. If there's something <clears> urgent <throat> to promote, I'll figure something out. But otherwise, it's going to come out in several weeks. Yeah, no, that's that's great. The only thing I would say, if anybody, people who are interested <laughs> in, you know, what, again, uh, a better description of what props mean and what how props matter is there is a vimeo out there called why props matter oh wonderful and i suggest that to anybody because that's it's it's inspiring okay absolutely you know even for us guys who've been doing it for all these years when that thing came in the great part about it was the guy who put it together isn't even in the industry wow okay. and uh he did an amazing job with it just an appreciator who wanted to yeah that's 100%. great and uh yeah it's like all these clips mm -hmm. from all these films you know including several from quentin mm -hmm. as well because of course you know quentin's a lover of props yeah you know you know he when i interviewed with him he said to me you know the three of the most important people to me collaboratively are the the costume designer the production designer and the prop master that those three people know are all on the same page yeah you know and so it and and again, you know, as you can see with, you know, bad motherfucker, <laughs> you know, all, all of his stuff is, you know, he's very particular and very interested in, in those props because they do help tell the story. For sure. And this Vimeo does a great job of illustrating that throughout the history of film. That's awesome. Yeah. There's great. there's just this whole, I, I don't know, it, it always adds this layer to a world. It's part... I would say it's definitely half the reason I love news radio, actually. It's like, it's one of my favorite shows. The comedy's brilliant, but like, I love so much of what physically makes up the space and like, gives these people, like there's there's a whole, there's a great gag with a stapler in an episode of news radio that right. wouldn't be funny in any other show, but they did it right. You know, the person picked the right stapler too, probably. It's probably half of it. Um, this has been a delight. Thank yeah, you so much for fun. doing this. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Um, well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to promote anything, but uh, I'm just going to say the thing that I always say at the end of this show, which is, oh, I'm sorry I missed your thing. I don't own a TV, so. You can find The Professional Blur on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find podcasts. And follow Jason on Instagram at Jason Klom and follow his hashtag, The Professional Blur. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!